This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome. It's good to see you today. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I, I just want to say we have special guests this morning. The Shims are in the house, right? Brad and Roe, would you stand for us back there? It, come on, let's give them a round of applause. Yes. Yay. Uh, our missionaries to Japan, putting them on the spot. I, I love these, this couple. I've anticipated, we were uh, insta-messaging yesterday, anticipating that they were going to be here. And she goes, we're actually going to come to church tomorrow. I'm going, what? Wow, you just made my day better. I came to preach now really good because they're here. Um, <laughs> welcome home. It's good to have you home. I can't wait to connect. We're so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here. Happy Father's Day. Everyone say happy Father's Day. Uh, everyone has a father, whether... Whether they're in your life or not, everyone has a father, and it's a place, of, it's a place of, of recognition. It should be a place of honor, whether you really like what they did or not. How many know that we're all failures in, many, in some ways or not? You say, Pastor Kevin, make me feel good today as a father. How many, how many can raise your hand and say you're not a perfect father? All of us, except for Tyler back there. He thinks he's a perfect dad. He's hanging his head. I love him. He had a birthday yesterday, by the way. Happy birthday, Tyler. Uh, But no, seriously, do you ever struggle as a parent going, did I do that right? Did I not do that right? Uh, Maybe when you get older and you look back on your children that are now adults and you see the oops in their lives, you go, oh my word, did I create that oops in their life? Anybody ever think that? Today we come, we thank you for being a father. We honor you for being a father. We honor our God for being the greatest father, the one who can restore all things, the one who restores the image of fatherhood in our lives. Amen? And we're thankful for that. We want to remember that, or remind you that as you go out today, uh, there is a gift especially for you, a dad's root beer bottle with a, a zip-tied note to it because we had to go manly with the zip-tie. Everyone say zip-tie. Uh, we decided, we, what, should we do duct tape or should we do zip-ties? And so, uh, uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we honor you today and we're thankful for you. I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your attendance. Thank you for your faithfulness online, for being here today. Uh, I'm glad that you're in the house. I just want to continue to remind you to be faithful in your giving, faithful in your serving. And in the side of the giving aspect, last year, 2020, we had the greatest financial year in the middle of a pandemic that we've ever had. We gave more money than we've ever given. Uh, we're now about the halfway mark, and everyone's going to be receiving a halfway giving letter. And we want to inspire you. We need to challenge you today because we're about $13,000 down for the year. And I want to reinvigorate why you give, not for the church, but for Jesus out of obedience, right? But can I tell you today that if you don't give, it actually hinders mission. It hinders our ability to step in. And so I just want to challenge you to step back into the habit of giving. Step back into the faithfulness of giving. Step back in that process to go, God, you own everything. So therefore, God, I'm going to honor you with it, even though I don't see the provision sometimes. So be obedient and God will come. Today, we start a brand new series titled Crash Course. Everyone say Crash Course. We've been talking a lot over this last year about the church, and the title of my message this morning is Be the Church, and you're saying, Kevin, I'm sick of being the church, or I'm sick of the title, or I'm sick of the topic, but can I tell you, I believe it's the most important topic that you and I could step into. It's the most important topic that you and I could identify with, and so today, we're going to dialogue this idea of being the church. 
This idea of crash course, a rapid or an intense course of study, a course that teaches you a lot of basic facts in a very short amount of time. How many have ever taken a crash course before in your life? It's been a very fast, quick thing, and you've been inundated with, with information. Uh, the next six weeks are going to be, or I guess five weeks after this, are going to be an intense instruction of what is the church and why are we? Who are we to be? What is the purpose of the church? And today we're going to just kind of lay the foundation of the, gra- gra- the groundwork for it. I remember classes in my master's uh, class of getting into it and having 32 weeks of solid lecturing in one week. Four days, 32 hours. Talk about crash course. Talk about drinking from a fire hose, being thrown into a a circumstance. And hopefully we're going to go a little bit slower in that process. But I can tell you the content or the idea behind this is a crash course idea. It's something that I'm hoping and praying that you will step into and identify with. Not just identify with, but that you will be, be, be being I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has lost some of its identity, especially in the middle of a pandemic, and we forgot how to be the church. And I want to remind you throughout this series of how to be the church. If you are part of the older generation, uh, these things called crash courses, maybe you're familiar with this picture here of uh, something for dummies. Anybody familiar with these for dummies? You know, I, I found this one really fascinating Chewing food for dummies. Now, if you don't know how to chew food, <laughs> enough said. Enough said. I mean, I don't have a problem chewing food. Do you have? I mean, just look at me. I don't have a problem chewing food. But to bridge the gap, you know, the thing that's real, the thing that's funny about this is that there are 339 books in this uh, for dummy series uh, that that are there. That we, uh, I'm having some. I may have to like turn to the next generation, Trenton, and say, come help me. There we go. Phew. Thanks for your prayers. That was just a miracle right there. <laughs> Dear God, don't let me lose my notes. Uh, 339 books in this Four Dummies series. Um, and maybe you've, owned, how many have ever owned one of these Four Dummies books? You know, Dummies for PC, uh, Dummies for, uh, or PC for Dummies, Apple for Dummies, uh, Eating for Dummies, Chewing for Dummies. Maybe you're one of those that made that book popular, but um, more so today, Modern technology for dummies is what we would call YouTube. Uh, I want to give you some facts about YouTube today, and I think it's important. There's actually a course on YouTube called Crash Course. Uh, If you're familiar, how many have ever heard of the YouTube Crash Course? And if you're a teacher, uh, educationally, or you're trying to find something out, there's a Crash Course video series. Um, There's uh, actually... 12.4 million subscribers to this Crash Course series. There's 800,000 views per day for this series. There are 38 videos and more are coming, and they're average from 7 to 13 minutes per video, and they're on uh, human anatomy, they're on history and sociology and physics and science. And the thing that I uh, found very fascinating is there wasn't one for algebra, because there is no comprehending algebra. (laughs) There's no crash course that can teach me that stuff. But when we begin to think about this idea of YouTube and this crash course, there are multitudes of YouTube videos that are out there. It's filled with how-to videos. YouTube was founded in February 2005. Their headquarters is in San Bruno, California. Over 2,000 employees. Some statistics that I want to give you today as of October 20th of last year. 
Total number of monthly active YouTubers are 2 billion. Total number of daily active YouTube users are 30 million. YouTube TV paying subscribers are 1 million. Average mobile viewing session is 40 minutes. Number of videos watched per day is 1 plus billion videos every single day. Number of mobile YouTube viewers per day is 1 plus billion. Hours of videos that are uploaded every minute are 500. 30,000 videos every hour are being loaded to YouTube. YouTube demographics, 73% of those are adults, 78% of those are male adults, 68% of those are female adults, 77% of those are 15 to 25-year-olds, 77% of those are 26 to 35-year-olds, 62% of businesses use YouTube. We use YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to YouTube channel for Relevant Life Church, get on and do it because that's that, we're, we're on there. Maybe you watch us online when you're there. 51% of people over 75 watch YouTube videos. Can I tell you, we're, we're talking about something that bridges the gap of generations. 51% of YouTube users say they visit the site daily. How many say that you are on YouTube daily? It's a resource that's out there. 37% of millennials aged 18 to 34 binge watch YouTube daily. I probably am old school and I binge watch Netflix. <laughs> I need to move to YouTube some more, I guess. 70% of YouTube watch, uh, YouTube watch times come from mobile devices. YouTube services are available in more than 100 countries in 80 different languages. Google acquired YouTube in 2006 for $1.65 billion. YouTube made in 2019 $15.14 billion in revenue. YouTube is the second most visited site in the world. Think about that. The second most, I didn't research who was the first. 37% of all mobile internet uh, traffic belongs to YouTube. Gangnam Style was so popular that it broke YouTube's video counter. And if you don't know what that is, go break it again and go watch it. (laughs) I would try to do the dance for you, but I'm on live TV right now, and so we don't want to do that. Uh, I can have someone else come and do it anyway, right? Uh, there are more than 31 million YouTube channels out there. 31 million YouTube channels. Most viewed video on YouTube is Louis Fonzi's De- Despacito. Is I pronounce that right? I don't know. I didn't watch the whole thing yesterday, but I watched a little bit of it. Um, so just go out and 6.6 billion views. YouTube's live stream of Coachella's first weekend earned 82 million live views. You're saying, Pastor Kevin, did you check these out? Are you promoting something? No, I went and checked them out. So it's not pornography or something like that. So if you're curious about it, you can go check some of these things out. The most popular YouTube channel is the T-Series of 150 million subscribers. The fact that I want you to hear today that's probably most appropriate for this message is that 57% of YouTube viewers go on to learn something. They go on to acquire acquire knowledge about a subject of how to fix something, a DIY project uh, that we try to step into. And and the average of these videos of success are seven to nine minutes. You know, so when you're going on to go, how do I change this in my vehicle? How do I do this electrical thing? I just call Tyler and he does it for me so I don't have to watch it. 
He cares about me. He doesn't want me to shock myself to death. Well, maybe sometimes he does. I don't know. But <laughs> no, seriously, YouTube. You know, I, 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 I see as I watch these statistics, I'm behind. And, you know, I'll ask Sasser, Sasser, how do you do something? He goes, did you watch YouTube? And I'm going, no, that's what you're for. You watch it on YouTube, and then you fix it for me, right? Anybody else are those kind of guys like that? I'm the only one. I'm the only non-real man in the room that doesn't fix things. I let someone else fix them, right? But rather than being a YouTube, rather than being the YouTube that we go to for crash course material, today I want to introduce this idea of being the B-tube. My daughter created this design for me up here to follow after, and rather than just watching the church exist, God's asked us to be the church that exists. We like to watch everything that's going on. We like to be a viewing uh, people that watch it on social media or whatever. We want to see someone else's life. We want to see how someone else does it. And Jesus is calling and saying, don't just watch someone else do it, be it. Be it. And today I've asked uh, two very special people to put together a video for us. And you'll see at the end where this great attention goes to. But this is the first video on BeTube. Thanks to the Anderson Brothers Incorporated. Uh, they gave us that video today. Blake and Jaden did an amazing job. Thank you so much for making that happen. Uh, today, we are the church. You know, I don't know if you've heard the nursery rhyme, this is the house that Jack built, but we're talking about this is the church that Christ built. And there's all these things, these blocks that come together that build the church. And we're going to be looking at it for the next several weeks. But we can sit back and we can watch or we can step in and be. Are you an observer or are you a participator? Are you going to be the church that Christ has called you to be? The church is something we be, not just something we see. And I want to encourage you that we've been an observing people the last 15 months. We've stepped back and because of a pandemic, it's forced us to be removed from being the church the way that we're used to. And today is an invitation for you to step back in to be the church that God created, the church that Christ is building, not just built, but is building. We are part of that building. I've always been captivated by the vision of what a church can become. 
You know, I don't know about you, but maybe because my position as a pastor or in ministry, I step back and I am fascinated what God can do amongst people from a different backgrounds all over the world and different mindsets and different ideas and different abilities, and he can bring this thing together called the church. Not a building, but a people, a people of unity, a people of vision, a people that rely upon him. The idea behind the series is not that we come and polish ourselves and make ourselves stand out as the better church on one side of the town. The purpose of this message and this series today is for us to focus on becoming this object of where God comes and occupies us. That him, in the middle of his majesty, in the middle of his moments of miracles, that you and I do become a house of miracles. That you and I are an extender of that miraculous power. The church was God's intended vehicle to reveal himself to the world. In our culture today, we've tried to vie for a position, in some churches have, I guess I would say, vie for a position of the top 100 grow, fastest growing churches across the world. Can I tell you today that God never called the church of Jesus Christ to be a Fortune 500 company. He called us to be an organization, an organism, a living organism that is a carrier of his presence and his glory into the communities. Whether you agree with this man or not, Bill Hybels, yes, he's kind of fallen for some grace, but I believe this statement is so foundational. It says, I believe that the local church, I'm going to say the God-filled local church. Everyone say God-filled local church. When I'm talking about a God-filled local church, I'm not just talking about the masses. Can I tell you that you can be the God-filled local church? So when I talk about the God-filled local church, yes, it is this unified group of people that come together in a building, but it's not the building, it's the people that come together. Is the hope of the world. I believe in the core of my being that the local church has the potential to be the most influential force on planet Earth. Can I tell you that in stating that statement and even reading that statement, I don't feel like many of the churches throughout our culture over the last 15 months have truly believed this. And I want to ask you today, do you believe that? Do you believe that the local God-filled church can be the most impactful thing in a society? Because if you don't believe it, you're not going to be it. If you don't step into it as an identity, you will never live it. Can I tell you today, it's not just seeing, it's not just watching, it's not just looking for the church that's going to do it, it's being the church that's going to do it. Jesus intended for the church to be the redemptive center for those who need help, hope, and restoration. What better time in our climate to be help, hope, and restoration? The church, this church, everyone say this church is the place of dynamic teaching, creative worship, deep community, effective evangelism, and joyful service. I'm calling you back to who we are, who we were, who God wants us to be. I'm calling you back to this thing of, no, this is a power-packed place that has vision and God is moving amongst us. When we remember who we are, we're able to act on who we are. When we remember who we are, who we are not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, not in my might or my strength, not in your might or your strength, but under the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I tell you that we've gotten so focused on giftings and abilities, and we applaud those. How many are thankful for the gifts and abilities? But can I tell you those gifts and abilities have been given by God? 
As I stand here today and I'm thankful for the gifts and abilities of a Colleen who's able to run live stream, of a Marty who's able to put together a, a system for us, of worship leaders that are able to come and do worship, all these people, these gifted abilities that are there, that have been given to us by God himself to more effectively be. James Clear, writer, the author of Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones, he makes a statement It says, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our habits. We don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our habits. Today I want to call you not just to a goal, I want to call you to a habit. I want to call you to a lifestyle, I want to call you to being, not just seeing. I don't want you just to look and aspire that someday maybe. Rather than someday maybe be, say, today I am. Today I will. Today the church of Jesus Christ will flourish in me. The tension question that I have for you today is this. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? I want you to think about that today. What kind of church would Relevant Life Church be if every member were just like me. If every member were just like you. I want you to think about how this church would move forward or not move forward. How does your attitude, how does your relationships, how does your spirituality, your attendance, your giving, your service, your evangelism, your outreach, your missions support define our church? How do all those functions support this church that you're part of? If it was dependent on you, would there be a nursery or a children's program? If it was dependent upon you, would there be a connection point with visitors? If it was dependent on you, would there be offerings? Would there be faithful, generous tithers? Would we be able to afford missionaries such as the, such as the Shims? Would outflow be a thing? If it was dependent on you, would it be a church that daily read his Bible? Would it be a praying church? Would it be a church where visitors are invited? Would anyone listen or would they just sit on their phone? Would anyone say amen or would they just be a very quiet church? If every member were just like you, would we cut back our services based on attendance? What if every member made sports and hobbies and activities uh, the same priority as you make them? Would we even have church? How often do you see a job and just do it? And how often do you serve sacrificially? How often do you show appreciation for what happens week after week? How often do you just complain about what hasn't been done or what is missing? If it were up to you, if you were the only member of the church, who would do the discipling? Who would train our youth? Who would reach the young adults? Who would care about the young marriage and their children? Honestly now, if everyone were a cookie cutter of you, What would the church look like today? Would your church be one that drinks alcohol or is addicted to porn? Would you watch any kind of movies that that you would aspire to? What kind of online posts would you be posting on social media? Would anybody in the hospital ever get visited? Would meals be delivered? If everybody in our church were just like you, what kind of church would we be? Can I tell you today, that's something that each of us need to take in and and look at our lives. Because I'm not just the church, you're the church. We are to be the church. God called us to be a living organism that steps in and does something. Anybody feel a little bit of tension right now? 
I hope so. I hope that somewhere you feel this tension rise up within you. And some of you may be sitting here going, but Pastor Kevin, you don't understand. I did that years ago, and now it's my time. Or Pastor Kevin, you don't understand. I have this season in my life. Can I tell you today, regardless of what your season is, God never removed the calling of being the church from you. It doesn't matter. It comes back to a life that is aligned with him. If I were to sum it up this way, a solution would be own your church. Own your church. Own your church. Own the activities of this church. Own the ministries of this church. Own the finances of this church. Own the missionaries of this church. Own the activities of this church. Be the church. Don't wait for someone else to be the church. We don't just come and see it. We are to be it. Can I tell you, in our culture today, we've become this observing culture that a man or a woman stands up here and communicates and we nod our heads and we sit there rather than stepping in and being part of. Church is not just the message. Church is the being. Church is letting your life be transformed. Everyone wants to be part of the perfect church. How many wanted to be part of the perfect church? But can I tell you today that not many people want to be the perfect church. They don't want to be what it takes to be the perfect church. And in reality, we don't have the ability to be the perfect church. In our humanity, in our might, and in our strength, we don't have any ability to be the perfect church. If it's not without his, if it's without his spirit, we will not be attractive. Matthew 16, 18, a passage of scripture that We have read over and over and over again. It says, now I say unto you, Jesus is speaking to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. Everyone say, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus is saying, I will build my church. For the first time in all of 30, almost 35 years of ministry, something brand new stuck out to me in this passage of scripture. Maybe I'm behind and you've already known this, but I had to go into the verses a couple verses before this and Jesus, for some reason, the Holy Spirit caused it to pop out to me. He's in Caesarea Philippi when he's communicating this message. Does anybody know anything about Caesarea Philippi? I didn't know anything about it until I did some research on it. I want to read to you why this statement is so powerful. The statement is powerful in and of itself, but I want to give you the reason of why it's so powerful. I want to give you the context of what the significance of this location was. Caesarea Philippi, which stood in a lush area near the foot of Mount Hermon, was a city dominated by immoral activities and pagan worship. It stood only 25 miles from the religious communities of Galilee, but the city's religious practices were vastly different from those of nearby Jewish towns. Caesarea Philippi became the religious center for worship of the Greek god Pan. The Greeks named the city Peneus in his honor. Years later, when the Romans conquered the territory, Herod Philip rebuilt the city and named it after himself. But Caesarea Philippi continued to focus on worship of the Greek gods. In the cliff that stood above the city, local people built shrines and temples to God, to the God of Pan. Interestingly, Jesus chose this place, this location, to make the statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In that pagan setting, he encouraged his disciples to build a church that would overcome the worst of evils. 
In the pagan mine, the cave of Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld where fertility gods lived during the winter and they committed detestable acts of worship to these false gods. Caesarea Philippi's location was especially unique because it stood at the base of a cliff where spring water flowed at, and at one time the water ran directly from the mouth of a cave and set it, that was set at the bottom of the cliff. The pagans of Jesus' day commonly believed that their fertility gods believe, lived in the underworld. And during the winter, uh, they, would, they would go in and, and they would return earth, to earth each spring and they saw the water as a symbol of the underworld and thought that their gods traveled to and from the world through these caves. In order to entice the return of their god, Pan, each year, the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in horrible deeds, including prostitution and sexual interaction between humans and goats. When Jesus brought his disciples to this area, they must have been shocked It would be like entering into a red light district and going, Jesus, why did you bring us here? We're seeing things that we don't want to see. We're experiencing things that we don't want to experience. Standing near that pagan temple, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who am I in comparison to this God pen? Who am I? And Peter comes back and he says, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies at that moment, and Peter, upon that statement, upon those words, upon that truth, I will build my church because I am Christ. I am the son of the living God, and I will build my church. And these gates, these offensive things will not stand against it. Can I tell you today what inspirational words those are today? Oftentimes we miss out on the fact of what the context of that statement was. We can get all jazzed about that nothing can prevail against us. And I'll say this today, nothing can prevail against us because Jesus is behind us and Jesus is in front of us. But today we've got to step in and we've got to go, no, am I identified by that? Jesus had gone to the place where all hell was breaking loose and he declares that he is the most powerful force in the world. His organization is the most powerful force in the world. And I can tell you this, that no other business, no other entity on this planet did Jesus come and say, I am building. He didn't come and say, I'm building a nonprofit organization. He didn't come say, I'm building a parachurch organization. He didn't come say, I'm building a Fortune 500 organization. He says, I'm coming to build my church. And my church is not a building. My church is a people that will be. My church is a people that will transform the world. The point today is that Jesus is the one that plants the church. So then you step back and say, why? Well, why am I involved? Why does it matter? Because Matthew doesn't end with chapter 16. Matthew doesn't end with Jesus saying, I will build my church. Matthew ends with Matthew 28. And if you're familiar with Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. He says, I will build my church, but I'm going to use you as a human. I'm going to partner with you. The point is not to go or not to go. It's, who you, it's what we are to do when we get there. It's who we are to be when we're not there. Can I tell you that so often we get so consumed with what's happening here instead of what are you being when you go? What are you doing when you go? Jesus doesn't build his church despite his disciples, but he builds his church through his disciples. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave us that he says, I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to give you power. 
I'm going to give you this ability to step into a world that's so broken and guide people that are so lost. The opening pages of the book of Acts show us a church that God used to launch this movement we call Christianity. Can I tell you today that as we step here and look, on their opening Sunday, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. On their second public gathering, over 5,000 were added to their number. Historians and scholars go on to tell us that within six months of Pentecost, there were over 100,000 Christians. Talk about a movement. Talk about being something. Talk about an identity of something. I don't know if you realize it today, but this is the reality. That everyone sitting in this room is a product of Acts chapter 2. You're a product of their devotion. You're a product of their faithfulness. You're a product of their giving. You're a product of their worship. You're a product of their receiving teaching and giving teaching. 2,000 years later, we sit here in this building and we're a product of Acts chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Everyone say devoted themselves. Because of their devotion, 2,000 years have gone by that the church of Jesus Christ has been founded, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit on our lives. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone say awe. Have you lost your awe? When you come into this building, do you lo- have you lost your awe of who Jesus is? Have you lost your awe of what being the church of Jesus Christ is? The most powerful, most hope-filled organization that has ever existed. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and their possessions to give to everyone anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes in their homes and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, what kind of church would we have if every member were like you? I have to ask myself that question. What would our church be if every member were like, just like me? Can I tell you today, we need to be just like Jesus. We need to be like him. We need to take on the identity that he's called us to. When you realize the magnitude of what this group of people, quest, people did, it causes us to recognize what enabled them to be used so mightily of God. This ragtag group of people that nobody knew their names and nobody knew their abilities and people actually shunned them and looked down upon them. The Bible says that they were just common men, but they were devoted to something. Today I ask you, in your commonness, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? For me to explain this, I'm going to give you three real quick points. And what I've summed this up is they were devoted to being realigned. They were devoted to this thing of being the church that they were going to allow God to do something in them. This idea of realignment, if you have a car or a vehicle that you're driving down the road and it pulls to the right or to the left, uh, the natural response would be to take it to a tire place and go, would you please what? realign my vehicle. Can I tell you today that much of the time the church of Jesus Christ throughout this pandemic as well as prior to, and I'm sure after will, 
Sometimes veers to the right and sometimes veers to the left. And sometimes it goes down the road and it does the little bouncy thing and you need to be balanced. And I want to call you back to a realignment. This word realign is a verb. It's to change or to restore a, per, a position or an attitude. To change or restore a position or an attitude. And it goes on in regard to a person, an organization, or a cause. Today, my challenge is that you would realign that the Holy Spirit himself would come and bring conviction in your life because my words are nothing without his power. As you can tell, I'm a little bit ramped on the message. I'm a little bit fired up because I believe passionately. It's why I do what I do. I believe passionately that we are the hope of the world, that we can transform the city of Salem, not us, but the Spirit of God through us. That our limited ability financially, gifting-wise, God can come and do so much through our commonness. And today I want to give you three things that they were realigned in. Number one, being the church takes a realigned, realigned identity. It takes a realigned identity. And you say, oh, Pastor Kevin, why are you talking to me about identity? I'm 60 years old. I'm, 20, I'm 35 years old. I know who I am. I want to say, do you? Do you? This word identity is who you are, the way that you think about yourself, the characteristics and traits that define you. How would someone describe you? Along with this idea of identity, how many have ever had an identity crisis? Question who you are. Now, I'm not just talking about junior high and those awkward stages. I'm not just talking about high school and graduating from high school and going, what school am I going to go to? Who am I going to be? I'm talking about a 57-year-old person who went through an identity crisis. Anybody ever, and as an adult, go through an identity crisis? Who am I? What defines my life? Can I tell you that probably all of you, if you're at all self-aware, and I don't mean that in a snide and insulting way, but if you're self-aware, we go through identity crisis. When ourselves begins to compete with what God says we are. When our insecurities become so loud that we don't hear what God is saying to us. I'll say this, you'll never find your true identity until you find your identity in Jesus Christ. Who are what you are allowing to identify you? Jesus has to be that identifier. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, if anyone belongs, everyone say belongs. It doesn't say if anyone believes, I want you to keep, catch the word here. It doesn't say, if anyone believes, it says, if anyone belongs. Everyone say belongs. If anyone belongs to Christ, he has become a new person. The old is gone and new life has begun. Old is gone when you belong to Christ. Can I tell you today that many of us in this room today, I wonder, do we truly belong to him? I'm not questioning whether you're have experienced him or not, but I'm saying, do you belong to him? Have you given him rulership of your life? Have you given him lordship of who you are? Because if you belong to him, the old is going to go and the new is going to come. It doesn't say if you believe. Many believe. It says the demons believe and they tremble, but they don't belong to him. If you belong, you will be. If you belong, you will become. Many sit here today and have followed Christ for years. They may even have a position or a title, but do you you truly belong to Christ? Have you realigned your identity with him? Have you come to the place of going, I am God's child. I am a friend of Christ. I am a member of this 
of Christ's great church. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm God's workmanship. I am this new creation. A song that many of you have heard by You Say I Am by Lauren Daigle. Or You Say by Lauren Daigle. How many have heard the song? You're just one of the millions across the world that have listened to it. Let me give you some facts about this song and why it's so popular. It was number one on the Christian charts for 129 weeks, longer than the song Oceans. Everyone remember the song Oceans? This one far outranked it. It entered into mainstream radio in 2019 as one of the top 40 and settled at number one for 69, 69 weeks on the general adult contemporary listening across our world. And the people that respond to this song come back and go, it's because I need to know who I am. We're talking non-believers. We're talking believers that don't, aren't part of the church, that aren't being the church, but they're coming back going, I don't know who I am. As Lauren Daigle sings this song, I believe that she's not just declaring for herself, she's declaring for you. She's calling the people of Christ to come back and go, no, this is who I am in Christ Jesus. We've allowed the world to define us. We've allowed the world to deter our goal and our direction. And today I ask you, what kind of church would we be if everyone lived by your identity? Can I tell you, that's impactful. That's something that we need to step back and go, do you see yourself? What if everyone copied your identity? Number two, being the church takes realigned priorities. This idea of priorities, something that is regarded as more important than another. Something that's regarded as more important. And you're saying, Pastor Kevin, you're meddling this morning. You're going to tell me how I need to live my life. And I want to tell you, no, God's already told you how you need to live your life. He's already laid out a lot of priorities for us. Men, today on Father's Day, can I tell you that you've made a great priority of showing up in church today? Can I tell you what's marked for Father's Day around our world? Most fathers want to be out doing something, having a barbecue rather than sitting in a church. This says something great about you today. I applaud you. Thank you. I commend you before God. That says a lot. You've prioritized God, the best priority of all. When we gain our new identity, our priorities will change. How we walk and how we live our lives will adjust. How we use our time, how we spend and we give our money, how we, what we do on a Sunday, how, we, how you respond to a person you see in need, how you view humanity. Men, how you lead your home, how you love your wife. Wives, how you love your, your husband. Parents, how you parent your children. As a believer in Christ Jesus, it will shape your priorities. Not only will it be your priority, but you will begin to impart those priorities to your family. Matthew chapter 7 says this. There's a harsh truth. Not everyone. Everyone say, not everyone. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Is that harsh? Do you hear that as harsh? Because oftentimes I come back and go, Lord, I've called you Lord. He's going, not everyone that's called me Lord, Lord. He gives a definitive here. He gives a qualification. He says, but he who changes his priorities, he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Can I tell you today, each of us are confronted with the reality. Are you going to realign your priorities? Not your will, not what you want to do for a Sunday, not what you want to do in the middle of the week, not how you want to raise your children or not raise your children. 
Not how you want to do marriage or how you don't want to do marriage. But how Jesus himself has said, this is the priority and this is what it looks like. You will realign your life accordingly. John chapter 6, we hear of Jesus and Jesus comes and he goes, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus himself is coming and saying, I have to realign my priorities. I'm coming, and yes, I am God, but I am also human, and I would rather do, but I'm going to align myself with God. When you are being the church, it's a priority in your life. The children are a priority in your life, whether you have children or not. The youth are a priority in your life, whether you have youth or not. Missionaries are a priority in your life, whether you understand missions or not. Outreach, outflow is a priority in your life because you're saying, I'm part of. And I could go through the list of ministries and service. Today, being the church is not just showing up on Sunday, it's actually living it out. It's adjusting your priorities. What kind of church would it be if everyone lived by your priorities? Lastly, today, being the church takes realigned purpose. Takes realigned purpose. The idea of purpose is the reason why something is done or fulfilling the reason why something was created. I love this as talking with Trenton about it and he goes, you have to go back to the creator to find the purpose. You have to go back to who designed it and why they designed it to understand what the purpose is. Can I tell you the book, the Bible that you and I read is filled with purpose. It's not filled with idle activity. It's not filled with who am I. It's filled with definitive answers of what your purpose was. And for you to fulfill that purpose, you've got to go back to your creator. You've got to go back to a relationship with him. You've got to go back to an understanding of what he calls for your life. If I were to say today, what's the purpose of a screwdriver? Someone help me. To tighten screws, okay? What's the purpose of a butter knife? To spread some butter. What's the purpose of scissors? Can I tell you today, if you were to go back to the creator, how many, let me ask this question, how many have ever used a butter knife to screw in a screw? Now I'm all about being creative. I'm all about this repurposing of something. But can I tell you that the designer of a butter knife would cringe that you're using it to screw in a screw? The creator and designer of a screwdriver would cringe if you're trying to spread butter on a slice of bread with a screwdriver. Can I tell you today, if God cringes, I think sometimes he cringes over our lives. Because I can tell you this, he designed you with power and passion and purpose. And we sit in these chairs and we go about our life occupied with what our world is occupied with. And he's going, Oh, if you would just be the church, if you would just realign yourself with the purpose and understanding of who I've directed you to be. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We were purposed for good works. Say, I'm purposed for good works. What good works are you doing? What good work did you do this last week? I'm not just saying showing up at a job. But I can tell you this, if you're a mom or a dad, a good work that you would have done was get on your knees and pray with your kids. A good work that you would have done was open the Bible with your kids and instruct them about the Lord. 
A good work that you did today was show up in this place to fellowship with others, to lift your hands and to worship God. We were designed for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A prayer that I've been praying much this last week, much the last two weeks, because I need to realign my purpose. How many need to realign your purpose? Psalms chapter 57 says this. The psalmist writes, he says, I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. How many of you want God to fulfill his purpose for you? Can I tell you, it's a form of surrender. It's saying, God, I realign myself. I get myself out of the way. And God, I come, I realign my identity. I realign my priorities. I realign my purpose. This identity, this priority, this purpose. To be the church that God has called us to be, we have to have a realigned identity. We have to align with him. We have to have a realigned priorities in our lives and realigned purpose in our lives. That how you've been living your life, you're coming to go, God, I'm messing it up. How many can say today, you're messing it up in ways? Can I tell you in transparency, I mess it up. I get Kevin in the way and God's going, get out of the way, realign with me. Come back to the purpose, come back to the reason. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at your purpose in being the church. That found people will find people. That saved people will serve people. That growing people will change. That you can't do life alone and that you can't outgive God. The purposes of why you and I exist. The purposes of why you and I call Relevant Life Church your home. Why we gather together as a fellowship is because these five things God's commanded us to be. When a church forgets their identity, they get busy doing and rather than being. We get busy with activity and we miss that connecting with God is so important. We get busy with activity on a Sunday that we forget that relating to a person on a real level rather than just a wave is so vital and so important. When we get so busy doing, we lose the concept of reaching our community. We're doing good things, we think. Our activity is up. But more than activity, are we being? Are we being what God's called us to be? As I close today, Philippians chapter 2 says this. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, that you may show yourselves blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated. Oh, God, help us today. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a wicked generation, among, among whom are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world, holding out to it and offering to all men this word of life. Today, God's called you not to just to see something and not just to do something, but to be something. He's saying that if you will realign these aspects of your life, you're going to become this bright light that is shining. That people are going to be drawn to you. That people are going to be drawn to us. That people are going to be drawn most of all and most importantly, what? To him. That they're going to encounter his saving grace, that they're going to encounter his transformation of life, of heart, of mind, of purpose, that they, in their hurt and in their brokenness, they're going to find healing, just like you found healing. 
They're going to find hope just like you found hope. They're going to find restoration just like you found restoration. How many can tell you today that God has impacted your life? Come on, lift your hands. How many can say today that God's impacted your life? Can I tell you, let's turn this moment into a time of worship. Would you just lift your hands? God, you've impacted my life. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's just lift our voices. God, what an honor. What a privilege it is to be the church. The church that you're building. The church that we can participate in. The church that says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Culture will not prevail against it. The worst and darkest areas of our culture will not win. God, we ascribe unto your power today. It's not man's work, it's your work. God, we partner with you. You don't partner with us. God, we come in alignment with your vision of the church. Come on, say it. God, we realign our lives today, our identity today. I am a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I am victorious, I am triumphant, and I'm part of the church of the living God. God, today we come and realign our priorities. God, as we look at your word, God, we say help us to say no to the good things and the better things, but press into the best thing, and that's you. God, help us as parents today to lead our children in the good, in the best in categorizing priorities. God, help us to live our lives in the best. God, today, we thank you for purpose. And we ask that you'd help us to walk out that purpose today. In this moment, would you ask yourself this question? If everyone were just like me, what would my church look like? Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray that you would go beyond words, go beyond understanding, and God, that you would bring life change. God, each of us stands solo before you today, but we also stand as a group. And God, rather than us looking to the right or to the left and saying what they should be doing, God, we step back and we say, God, what do I need to be? God, help us today. God, what I love about you is that you don't expect perfection the next moment. But God, when we invite you in, you begin to bring change. And God, today, as we have our hands lifted across this room, we say, Holy Spirit, will you change us? God, will you do a work in us? Will you transform our lives to please you? God, transform this church to be your church to be that beacon of light in a dark community. God, help me as I go, as we go to our jobs, as we go to our schools, as we go about what we're doing to be this church that you called us to be. And God, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, and all God's church says, amen, amen. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.